Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to issue 350, episode 350 of the Danger Room X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. Are you sure you, you don't want to take that again? <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, you want to leave it? Perfect. No, and I mean, you know, classic <laughs> 350. This is, this, is, this is your first episode. This is pretty much how it goes. <laughs> uh, my name is Jeremy. Uh, did I say my name? I don't know. You did. My name's Adam, but uh, <laughs> we're here to discuss X-Men number one. Oh my gosh. And we had grand plans of doing something super special for the culmination of episode 350 and X-Men number one. But spoilers, we couldn't get our travel arrangements in order. So here we are doing it now because I don't think we've published anything for like a month now. We had a what if issue that okay, okay. that we put out there. Um, so that's the 75.1. So, so technically, I guess this is the 351st uh, episode. But that's okay. Who cares? It's, it's all good. Good on us. Yeah. This, uh, this is a cover date of October, but it was on sale first in August 13th of 1991. And then I think it came out like the next five weeks or the next four weeks or something like that. Oh Lord, I have no idea. It was it was like weekly. Yeah, that that was each cover released like yeah. a yeah, okay. I don't remember One, any of those. Details. I don't know if the fifth cover was released in the fourth week. I don't remember. I could look, but I don't care. Uh, the cover price was a dollar fifty. Well, three ninety five uh, for the for the big deluxe version. That's right. No. Uh, the title of this one is Rubicon. So, a couple of things. Um, obviously, well, us and everybody else in the world who was into comics at the time, and probably a lot of uh, speculators, bought all of these issues. I think it's the uh, highest-selling comic book ever. Is that true? Uh, it definitely was at the time. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on now, but I would imagine that it's never been done. Yeah, I can't imagine that the record's outdone. been broken, but I... I could be wrong. Now, my recollection, uh, you know, obviously they had a lot of options, right? You had your $4.50 issues or whatever with, with different covers. And if you put those covers all together, you basically made the gatefold cover that um, the deluxe version, the three ninety five version had. Um, I think were the standard issues, were those all polybagged with a, with a card? No, that was okay. X-Force. Okay. X Force came out. X Force number one came out, and they were they were polybagged with a unique card. Okay. There were five different cards, so you had to buy five copies to get all the cards. Okay. Ten copies if you wanted to open them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I guess six copies if you wanted to open one. So uh, so now I know that I purchased probably one copy of the Gatefold. Probably I haven't looked at the comic book collection, uh, but easily five copies each of kind of the standard issue. Yeah, I went to Norwood and said, I want five copies of each issue one. I don't recall if that it went to the expensive one as well. I feel like I couldn't have afforded $15 worth of five comic books at the time, but yeah. like, I don't know. Today that's par for the course, right? And of course we thought, right, this was going to be, so Forta, Forta bag board and, and, and never use, and then one to read. Well, arguably, you only needed to read one of the issues. <laughs> so everything else could be, you know, uh, bag boarded and stowed away. Um, my other observation, like, it's a fine cover, uh, very, very Jim Lee. In fact, the entire issue is very Jim Lee. Um, I was never a huge fan of the title Rubicon. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like uh, 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 Gen or uh, what, what? Deadly Genesis and um, you know some of the other sort of rebooted titles. I guess that's the only one I can think of. Um, have staying power. Um, Rubicon is a thing you see on the side of a Jeep <laughs> because they make a Jeep Rubicon. Uh, so I just don't feel like it's got the staying power. And I also feel like, you know, this might be a little played out, but they should have gone along with another Genesis title. So Rubicon is an act of winning a game against an opponent whose total score is less than 100. Oh, it's got to be more <laughs> definitions than just that. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's what the uh, that's what the Google says. Okay, well, so uh... maybe maybe instead of a hundred, it could also mean the maximum. I don't know. Sure, sure. Let's, I, let's I go with that. Um, I got some. Uh, I got some. I got an. I got a bunch of excerpts to read from Sean Howe's Marvel Comics: The Untold Stories. Okay. Do you want to kind of lead us into this? Okay. Cool. Fire away. So. Uh, I'm going to jump around a bit. It's in the chapter called Boomer Bust, or the section called Boomer Bust. It starts around page 325. I believe I've read that portion of the book, so hopefully some of this is familiar to me. Uh, a lot of it will be familiar because a lot of it is actually stuff that we've been speculating about and mm. talking about. Okay. Uh, so it'll cover a couple of months prior to X-Men number one as well. All right. Tom DeFelco went to editor Bob Harris and told him it was time to expand the X-Men line. I thought it was the worst idea on the face of the earth, said Harris. I remember thinking, how much more can we expand this thing? We have four X-Books already. Uncanny, Wolverine, New Mutants, and X-Factor. I thought that if we went to five, we were going to kill the Golden Goose. Nonetheless, Harris and Claremont worked to, differ to differentiate the new title simply called X-Men from Uncanny X-Men. Huh. They merged the original 1960s lineup, now appearing in the pages of X-Factor with the current cast of Uncanny X-Men, and then redistribute them into two rosters. Uncanny would feature the gold team. X-Men would feature the blue team. X-Factor, meanwhile, would feature a group of peripheral younger mutant characters who'd been introduced over the last few years. So, Claremont was involved. So, at, least, at least thus far. Yeah, I'm curious if it was... Feel like he wouldn't have been on board with this plan from day one, but once it was like we're gonna do this, I can see him getting on board and being like, "Okay, these are the characters that we've got available. This is what we can do with them." I can see him getting on board. I just don't feel like he would have been the guy championing this, unless he thought maybe, "Oh man, Jim Lee is really cramping my style and taking over. I want to keep uncanny. Jim Lee can just have that new X Men book." Well, the story goes on. Okay. With the franchise-wide changes, Harris now had an opportunity to solve a problem that had been nagging at him. Claremont's stories about aliens and magic just weren't pleasing him. They didn't seem the kind of tales that the Uncanny X-Men did best. In the five years since the return of Jean Grey had ruined Claremont's happy ending for Cyclops, the book had gone through radical changes. Dazzler and Longshot had joined. The X-Men had been presumed killed. Uh, in Australia, where they depended on a mute aborigine to teleport them from Adventure and Brother, Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride, the most playful and big-hearted members had left. Professor X and Magneto, the opposing poles of the title's philosophical quandaries, were nowhere to be found. The Uncanny X-Men was still, of course, the number one selling title in the entire industry, but retailers, who were by and large aging fans themselves, had complained to Marvel's sales representative about the dangling plot lines, wondering when Claremont was going to get back on track. With constant whisperings in his ear, Claremont, uh, Harris made his move. He'd been brainstorming sessions while out to dinner with 
Rob Liefeld, Will Sportatio, and Jim Lee and found that they were on the same page as to the direction that should be taken. Mm. It just happened that Bob hated anything that Chris said, recalled Partacio. And anything that we said 50% of the time was a matchup with what Bob was thinking. Partacio and Lee would now plot the X-Men stories together with Chris Claremont writing the dialogue over their artwork. Partacio on Uncanny X-Men and Lee on X-Men. After shepherding the characters from throwaway sales gimmicks to international stardom over the course of 16 years, Claremont's role would be reduced to typing dialogue fit to order. Aghast, he tried to get control of just one of the two titles, much how Byrne had handed, been handed Fantastic Four when he'd come to loggerheads with Claremont a decade earlier. No dice. It wasn't even a case of Jim will handle X-Men you can take on candy, Claremont said. No one on the editorial side wanted to talk about it. It was just a take-it-or-leave-it situation. So I feel like um, the magic in the aliens was a thing in the early 80s, late 70s, and he went away from that. So I feel like that's a weird thing to to draw back into the to the conversation. But I also feel, I mean, they're not saying it, but I feel it's all money, right? Like at that time, Jim Lee, Liefeld, those guys were selling books. Yeah, The stories are important, right? Because you need the, the stories. You need the stories that Claremont does to get you to the point where Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and folks like that can make their big artistic splash uh and and make it a household name and get people that weren't buying books to buy books. Um, but I, I mean, obviously as history has shown, like that staying power doesn't exist and you know, stories do actually matter. So I think the agreement of like, uh, you know, Harris and, and the rest of that team is probably boiling down to like these Claremont's the old guard. He's stale old dinosaur and these new kids, they're fresh hip. They got, ideas and i i want to i want to back them that's how i perceive that whole thing all of this happens because of spider-man one and the and the massive sales of spider-man one sure and all the speculative market that's happening with all the multiple covers and all this kind of nonsense well spider-man one was huge right spider-man one comes out uh, I mean, from my vantage point, I'm sure like the comic purveyors, the the salesmen, they knew what was coming, but it sort of wasn't on my radar. I had no idea that it was, it was coming and, and I was late to the party. So I sort of, I think I missed out on the initial run of number one. I might've bought it sometime down the line, but that was like the big get, like that silver cover was the expensive one. And they had a regular cover and then they had a second print, which was a gold cover. And I think ultimately I ended up getting all of those. But yeah, I that, think I ended up getting them not at the comic store, but at, on the rack. I did, so yeah. it was it was like, a, oh, there's a Spider-Man one and it's silver. Cool. OK. And that was for a while, like right away worth, I don't know, t- tens of dollars. I mean, we were both reading Wizards, so we probably we probably knew about it, but we didn't see it as the uh, huge thing that it ended up being. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, if I was reading Wizard, I was reading your issues of Wizard because I never had okay. a subscription to Wizard. And I probably wouldn't have been looking at the Spider-Man stuff. I remember getting most of my information from the uh, the the um, catalogs, uh, American Comics, oh, yeah. and then there was another one. Um, Previews. Yeah. I mean, they'd have like back issues, new issues, and you could order a bunch of stuff. Uh, and they had a few articles in there and that was free right they just mail that to you every couple of weeks that's where i got the majority of my information but sure yeah i can see that right that thing probably sold like hotcakes and all like more of that 
Claremont tried to go along with the plan, but found that even his limited role was compromised by blown art deadlines. Jim was not a consistent producer. I'd get seven pages a week or two would go by and I'd get 14 pages. There were cases where I'd get the pages and I'd have to script them and send them to the printer a day later. It was a panic. Portacio, meanwhile, wanted to make a splash by killing off older characters. Uh, in Uncanny, Claremont complained vociferously to Harris that he was that while he tried to juggle the interlocking plots of three titles at the time, we're arguing back and forth, said Claremont, I'm trying to do this four issue run on X Factor, tidying up all those loose ends left over from Wheezy, asking her, is it OK to, if I do this? She said, I don't care. <laughs> at that point, I was just like fart. Uh, fart? That's not, what he, that's not what he actually said. Oh, oh, OK. We're keeping it PG, folks. Gotcha. As they approached the big launch of X-Men, I guess I could have said fudge. Anyway, uh, Claremont said the battle with Harris became an all-outright knockdown drag-out fight. Harris wanted to bring Professor X back into the stories. Professor X wanted to kill Wolverine and complete Magneto's transformation from villain to hero. Wait, Professor X wanted to kill Wolverine? Claremont wanted to okay. kill Wolverine and complete Magneto's transformation from villain to hero. Right. Claremont and Harris began communicating exclusively via fax machine so that there would be a paper trail due to the in, uh, increasingly tense exchanges. Claremont appealed to DeFalco and delivered ultimatums to Terry Stewart. After Claremont's wife reminded him that they had a mortgage to pay, he negotiated to write the first three issues of the new X-Men. This would be, in effect, his severance pay. Oh. He gave up on his last issue of Uncanny after 11 pages. No one, not Stan Lee, not Jack Kirby, had stayed on a title as long as Claremont has. There was no goodbye in the letters column, no announcement to the press. Almost overnight, Claremont was without illusions about corporate loyalty. When an interviewer expressed surprise at the seemingly sudden end of the 16-year tenure, Claremont reminded him that comics were exempt from the rules of straight publishing in which genre fiction authors own their franchises. Right. What you have is a corporate disagreement between an employer and his supervisor. And in that light, the corporation instinctively supports its supervisors. If Marvel had survived Kirby's departure, why would it think Chris Claremont was necessary? Claremont couldn't even draw. So, spoilers, uh, at the end of issue three, so the end of the severance package, there is a little tag that says CSC 1976-1991 Finn. That's it. Yeah. No no big editorial splash, as you mentioned. Nothing in the – I guess I don't have the letters column in front of me, but as my, my recollection is, there's nothing in the letters column of like – Thanks so much for 16 years of ongoing success. It's just don't let that door hit you on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good, good luck at DC. Yeah. Well, and the rest is history, right? Eight days after spinning the news of Claremont's departure, he'd be taking a sabbatical, a Marvel rep said. Nicieza and Liefeld's X-Force number one went on sale. It's nearly four million copies was the new record holder, leaving Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man one in the dust. Mm. On August 16th, the first of $4.50 editions of Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men number one hit the stands. Every week, a different cover was shipped to stores, building up to a fifth version, a $3.95 Bonanza with a fold-out of the previous four covers. When the smoke cleared, nearly 8 million copies had been sold, roughly 17 copies for every regular comic book reader. Many of these copies, of course, never reached retail customers, but remained in boxes as investments. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that brings us up to uh, speed. So I imagine, right, uh, Marvel, the editors are probably just all patting themselves on the back. Or like, this is the best decision we could have possibly ever made. And then what? Two years later, everything crashes? I mean, they made a lot of money. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, that's, yeah. And, you know, when corporate sees you making a lot of money, they want to say, uh, keep whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Right, right. Until all the creators left and then they're like, now what do we do? I was also reading there was something like because uh, Rob Liefeld was in commercials and going on talk shows, it was speculated that uh, he made far more money than anybody else. Probably. It was his idea to leave. Was it? I thought I thought uh, uh, Todd McFarlane led the charge. According to this book, it was Rob Liefeld's idea and McFarlane eventually came like came on into the idea and kind of. Uh, spearheaded it. I don't know. Like Rob Liefeld was just kind of fishing with uh, characters from uh, other publishers. Yeah. I guess he he did something in that previews magazine that you were kind of talking about earlier. That where he he was he put in a new comic coming from Rob Liefeld from Malibu Comics, and uh, Marvel saw it and said, uh, "You can't do this, or we'll sue you." And then so he kind of. I think he was just sort of testing the waters, but then McFarlane was kind of getting sick of doing Spider-Man, uh, and because Marvel was not allowing him to do exactly whatever he wanted, which surprised me because it was like it felt like he was doing whatever he wanted. Yeah, but apparently he was uh, hitting, uh, having problems with the editorial. So, huh? He, he and he eventually was like, "Well, Life Liefeld has this cool idea of going somewhere. Maybe, maybe I should do it." And it was his idea to bring on board multiple people, like Jim Lee, Wells Portasio, all the heavy hitter artists, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like that says in the past, whenever people le- left, it hadn't mattered. So we need to leave as like a group, right? Well, and you can go found your new company and say, you know, coming from you know all of these. Hot creators, image comics, right? And you meet, I mean, well, I, I don't know if it really worked on us so much. I bought like the first issues that they released and never really looked back. Yeah, I think I bought the first issues of, like, the first like four issues of Spawn and the first issues of various other things. And if I liked them, I, I think I probably picked up a couple of issues of Savage Dragon. I didn't. But yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't complete any of those runs no uh my my issue number one of spawn which i bought uh and i only wanted one copy i don't want to like go crazy and get like a ton of copies because i don't probably just didn't have the money uh my copy the the cover so in my bag my comic book bag i pulled out my 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 loot paid for got in the car and started reading through it the cover is not attached at one of the staple points <laughs> and i was like no this is my number one it's other than that it's in i mean i guess you can't say it's in mint condition because the cover is only attached to the book by one staple but it's not my fault you could fix that you could just remove the staple and add a new staple no no no. i think like it like the cover had like pulled free from the staple oh, so, like, so there's a big hole well it's, there's not a hole it's just like a little slice where that staple is supposed to be you could just stable it somewhere else and hope nobody notices. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Spawn number one's worth anything, but maybe it is. Um, I don't really care though, because yeah. if it is worth anything, it's probably worth like fifteen bucks, and I'm not going to go through all that effort to fool somebody for fifteen dollars. 
So to your point, it was Todd McFarlane's idea to start up Image Comics. It was Rob Liefeld's idea to leave Marvel to go to a different publisher. I sort of think that Rob Liefeld, and we've sort of talked about this, and I think we've seen evidence and other things that he's done from an artistic perspective. I feel like he was probably just spouting ideas off left and right of like, here are all my ideas for comic book characters. We should leave the company. Let's do a TV series. Let's do this, right? I feel like he was probably that hyperactive person that was just all over the place. And, yeah, and while he probably pitched that in, in like a whole bunch of other things that he was pitching, um, Todd McFarlane's like, hey, wait a minute. Go back to that one thing you said. That, eh, there might be legs on that one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. If you've ever seen Rob Liefeld speak in person, he is a speed freak. Yeah, no, I, I've seen. He's just like a bundle of energy. So, and now I think when I saw him, he was in his forties. So just imagine him as a teenage kid. He's probably twice as yeah, twice as energetic, bouncing off the wall. He's on TV. He's doing Gene commercials. I mean, he he probably thinks he's at this point probably thinks he's just like a megastar. Uh, and he was. Yes, he was. Yeah. So I mean, anyways, um. So that's our coverage of X-Men number one. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, when we talk about uh, issue two. Uh, this issue's kind of boring. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, this feels like like two and three don't feel like true Chris Claremont issues. This one does feel like a Chris Claremont issue. And I don't know why I'm saying that. It just came to me now. It's just kind of like the dialogue in this one is tighter. It's better plotted. The rest right. of it kind of seems like they're making it up as they go. This one seems to definitely have an idea and a place that the creators, whether it's Claremont or maybe they had, maybe um, Jim Lee and uh, who? Will Sportacio? Yeah. Yeah. Or Fabian Nicizio, whoever was doing the plots, um, had more time to think about this. Maybe they, because they probably had a couple of months to like sit down and be like, what do we want to do with this? How are we going to kick this thing off? Whereas issues two and three kind of feel like, okay, we kicked off this thing and now we've got deadlines. Yeah. So uh, the issue opens up here. I guess we're ready to talk about the issue, huh? Yeah, there's yeah. a space chase. Woo! Speaking of not wanting to do space things, we open up the issue in space. <laughs> space. Uh, some shield agents. And I'm only – you don't gather this from the first page, but no. eventually I figured it out. Some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are in a space shuttle chasing some mutants who stole a space shuttle who are looking for Asteroid M. Yes. And there's a – you know, you got quite a few pages here. I don't know. I guess, yeah, in the 90s, especially when this issue came out, it's all about art. It's all about action. I would have liked a little bit of a buildup, you know, some – Stealthing and stealing an introduction to who these characters are. I mean, we ultimately will get that. They steal this the feels ship. like the opening of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, but it also feels like the opening of a movie where you're going to kind of, you're going to you do this big splashy open and then you're going to step back 48 hours earlier and then, and then lead up to that moment and then finish off the movie. But we never get that 48 hours earlier bit. Right. Not that I, it matters, but. After the opening, it doesn't feel like a movie because the, the, the movie opening immediately opens into Magneto, and then we're back in comics. So, like, it's just one page. One page feels like a movie, right. and the rest of it feels like a comic book. And Magneto is in space. Magneto's in space! I am Magneto! I am power, he says. <laughs> well, he doesn't say the last part, but he does no, say, I am Magneto. Um, there is, like, a bubble around him, which I guess he made with magnetism so that he can breathe, but he is floating 
in space, in between the Earth and asteroid M, and he's ripped apart these ships. I I think some of these guys have been killed now. I don't think so. No? Okay. I Maybe think everybody lives. Them. Even even when they appear to die later in the issue, I still think they live. <laughs> that could be. I'm not sure. Anyway, we get our title, Rubicon. It's a, it's a goofy premise, right? It's, it's definitely a uh, Jim Lee wanted to draw a Magneto pose, which he does, but it's just kind of goofy that he's like floating in space in his little yeah, bubble, like ripping apart these ships and apparently repairing Asteroid M. I think it's pretty badass. I mean, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. But yeah. when you think about like the physics and mechanics behind this, I don't. I <laughs> clearly I am, and it just doesn't really make a bunch of sense. The other thing is, is like I feel like Asteroid M would be like NORAD would have constant tracking on it and be like, "Yep, it's still floating out there. There it is." Yeah, that is a weird thing that everybody seems surprised that it's back. Right. And like these people maybe are, later we get somebody in Shield go or somebody in some government saying, "I thought asteroid M was destroyed. I guess they rebuilt it." Yeah, you're right. It it felt like this is something that people should be aware of and tracking. And I don't recall because I've not been paying attention or keeping track. I don't recall we ever saw like the full on obliteration, disintegration, whatever you want to call it, of asteroid M. Like we know it's been wrecked. X-Men did a lot of damage to it, and then we never really talked about Asteroid M in the comics, as far as I can recall, ever again. Because if you really think about it, it's kind of a goofy concept. It was great in the 60s and 70s, but when you start putting a little bit more reality onto it, it's like, that doesn't... How would he have the resources and time, which I guess they do cover in maybe a classic X-Men, some heist he did to get all the money, but I don't know, it just doesn't track. You know, it makes sense in this three-parter, because... If you're thinking about it from like they're 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 like, all right, Magneto's isolated himself away from everybody else. How does he do that? What if we bring back Asteroid M? Then he yeah. can be off planet. Then it's like, oh, okay. I think it's a good plot device. I don't. Get, I'm complaining, but I'm also not complaining. It's like, oh, hey, we haven't talked about Asteroid M in a long time. I don't recall if it's been destroyed or not. Yeah, I guess it, it makes sense to sort of bring it back and let let that be sort of the thing that gets all this action going. You sure this lady's not dead? Like her her spacesuit on the next page has got cracks in it and stuff. Let me see the yeah, next page. Yeah, I don't page. think she dies. Yeah, I don't think she dies. She gets well. She's she's a mutant. Yeah, she's the one that appears to die later. So th- these mutants uh, sort of appeal to Magneto, and they're like, "Hey, we've been looking for you. We want to follow you." And it's you. We came to find Lord Magneto. We're mutants like you. And Magneto, I mean, too, I, I think Claremont's got a lot of influence here, is kind of like, hey, I, just leave me alone. <laughs> I tried the yeah. bad thing. I tried the good thing. It's just not working. I'm going to hang out here. Just leave me be. Uh, these people are like, no, we, we want to we wanna follow you. Those days are done, woman. That man is no more. Can you abandon our destiny? And he can. But first we cut to Star City, Cosmodrome, Baconir, the Soviet equivalent of Cape Canaveral. Yeah, sure. Yep. So it took me a minute to realize that since there isn't any like uh, translation thing that says or translated from Russia, I, of course, skipped over that and thought this was just happening in the United States. Yeah, I mean, Russia- one thing I will say for Jim Lee, there's nothing really to identify these people as Russian, but no. Um, not sure how you would do that anyway. Obviously, Russia will 
become a big part of this, which could have been super interesting, but they don't I don't feel like they capitalized on it as as well as they probably could have. Once this three issues are over, like this whole story never happened. Right. <laughs> yep. Um so they talk about look, there's Magneto, he's back, asteroid M. We thought it was destroyed, but apparently it's back. He's building another one or replacing it or whatever. We do get a call back to Magneto's uh teacher outfit which is kind of nice the purple one with the m on it that's kind of like what i'll always equate with issue 200 issue 201 whatever the trial of magneto issue was is this outfit but it's nice nice callback yeah uh these people are all upset that magneto's back um and this one guy's like we're initiating stage one of the magneto protocols and listeners Magneto protocols are super important <laughs> and are really going to pay off. Yes. <clears throat> so pay attention and buckle up. Spoilers. We recorded episodes two and three of this or issues two and three after this. So if it, if if you hear us repeating stuff that we say here, that's why. Yeah. What do you mean? We record this podcast out of sequence. Why would we do that, Adam? Uh, aforementioned special edition plan oh, yeah, yeah 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 we 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 haven't just been taking time off we've been we've been storing up a backlog yeah oh my gosh there's so much oh my gosh it's gonna it's gonna be an eruption of new content releasing everything in one day just one day get cut all cut, get all cut up anyways uh at the there's not a really good transition here from the magneto protocols over to the white house but that's what happens no, there isn't um except for i guess nick fury's there so maybe you're supposed to be like oh well you okay. all, you see the front of the white house and i guess if you don't recognize that you have the american flag sitting next to a desk so there's yeah I, w- I would young me would not have identified that as the white house right. actually old me would not have identified that as the white house it's gray <laughs> That's true. Uh, I feel like the way you should have done this is finish this page with more dialogue from the Russians and, and, you know, what is the threat to Russia? Why are they doing the Magneto protocols? And then the next page cuts to White House stuff, full page of that, and then the next page after that cuts to the X-Men. Then we've got all of our, we got Magneto, we got the Soviets, we got Americans, then we got X-Men all introduced in a full page. But I guess they ain't got no time. We got no time. Got to fit it all in. The important thing is there are Magneto protocols. Yes. You know, we're going to find out what those are. And wow. Yo, my gosh. Just wow. Uh, Yeah. The asteroid M is above Russia. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's a problem. It's in their, you know, their airspace. Yeah. So back at the Capitol, um, I don't know, the president or president liaison. Somebody calls Nick Fury in and says, hey, this is terrible. I'm assuming that's Bush. It's sure. the back of Bush's head. Yeah, Bush Sr. Yep. They're like, hey, uh, terrorists hijacked a vehicle. Looks like they're going to go head out to, into space. Um, and the Soviets are um, um, spun up. we got to do something. Do you have an alternative to the Magneto Protocols, says President George H. Bush. No, wait, H is the younger. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, senior. And... Then we cut to the X-Men, the obvious alternative. Which, right. Well, it's it's a good transition, though. We end that page, and then we have a nice establishing shot. Well, I, I wouldn't call it nice. We have a thin establishing shot of the mansion, which is somewhat recognizable, and then a full two and seven-eighths page, uh, or one and seven-eighths page spread 
of the X-Men. The These are the spreads teams. that I'm paying for, Jeremy. This is this is like the bread and butter of the issue. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's these, just constant pinups. These are the money shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, we get in let's not let's not ever say money shots again. Well, I mean it's appropriate. It's just not in the context that you're thinking about it, you perv. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I when someone says money shots, I can't I can't not think of what money shots actually and you, are. And you and yet you keep saying it. I I know because I can't I I can't move on now. Um, Here's yes. one thing I do like about this this pinup here is um, uh, um, Cyclops's like hood or whatever like the thing that's gonna become his mask is kind of like around his shoulders and attached to that are his goggles so that's a nice touch I like that I mean, he's just got his like uh, ruby quartz sunglasses on I like it it's a good touch I'll be honest the male figures in this issue are all too beefy. Oh, like Magneto yeah. was too beefy in the previous thing. Skyglops is too beefy here. Uh, Colossus is okay as beefy. Yeah. Uh, and there's a kind of a weird perspective thing where um, Cyclops is looking directly across the panel, but I think his body's supposed to be sort of positioned towards us. Uh, but because of that, it just makes him look really thick. I think Jim Lee is doing a thing where you're supposed to not you're supposed to hold this. This is a two page spread. Mm -hmm. Both pages are like at a slight angle. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be sort of a perspective thing where I don't know. I think he was trying something different. I don't know know who Storm is looking at. Storm's like looking at us, not Cyclops. Yeah, Storm is looking at us. Or the professor maybe is off panel. I don't know. But we do have a Cyclops Storm in the foreground. Uh rogue Iceman uh, Archangel is carrying Colossus on screen Beast they're training Forge and I'm assuming that's Banshee Mm -hmm. are also there running the comms Um, yeah it's a training exercise where the uh, the people on the screen are supposed to uh, engage with the, the 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 mansion I guess and try to get in and it should have been a baseball game (laughs) <laughs> i'm fine with this it's kind of cool it's a danger room exercise like you either think of a baseball game or uh or a danger room session or a danger room yeah. session or any training session yeah uh the thing that I, we kind of glossed over is the mansion has been fully rebuilt oh yeah yeah I, I i guess they just did that i didn't even think of that yeah no which is fine i mean they've done it before uh, in previous issues where they've rebuilt the mansion, you've usually seen the X-Men kind of walking around hauling two-by-fours and stuff, like actually showing the reconstruction. But yeah. it's fine. This is fine. Whatever. It's a brand new era. They, they rebuilt it. Uh, the professor's got, like, really good stocks and stuff that he drew upon while he was in space, and uh, they they rebuilt it. So it's all good. The professor and Jean Grey are in some room somewhere. Uh, let's go with the professor's office uh, sure. with the old Cerebro. But, I mean, there's a bunch of pictures on the desk, including the New Mutants. That's true. I just didn't notice the New yeah. Mutants. You kind of skim over them. It's like, why are – oh, yeah. Since you're all, the, all this dialogue, you just kind of – There's a lot of di- – I mean, Chris Claremont's working overtime to tell his story with the pictures that are in place. Yeah, it's, it's a whole, like, I'm the professor. I'm back. I never thought I'd be back here. Right. And if you look at this portrait of the New Mutants, I mean, many of them are either doing completely different things or are dead, right? Warlock's dead. Uh, Cypher is dead. Magic is reverted to a five-year-old. Uh, Cannonball, he's still around. Uh, he even says that. With some yep. of the children entrusted to my care buried. Yep. 
I think that's the whole point of this thing. I keep wondering, had I never left, could I have somehow prevented this from happening? You did what you thought was best, Charles, mm-hmm. as did we, says Jean Grey. That seems like a combination of Jean and Storm that you're doing there, but you roll with it. I just don't want to get to the the real Gene because it hurts my throat. It's <laughs> funny. So now Gene's just an old lady. Yeah, okay. That's funny. an old lady who doesn't hurt my throat. You always did a better Gene anyway. <laughs> so they head out, right? Um, the professor's talking about his dream, if it's valid anymore. Gene reassures him, like, if it wasn't, we wouldn't be here. And here we are. I look at the world and cannot help wondering if my dream has any validity anymore. Meanwhile, Iceman and uh, Rogue are fighting off the defenses from the mansion. You got some surface-to-air missiles shooting at them. The mansion has surface-to-air missiles now. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's all Forge, but well, it's kind of, this, this is very silly. So I get that Forge can like design weapons and arguably build these weapons, but at some point when you're building surface-to-air missile things that pop up out of the ground, you're going to need some contractors to help you pour concrete and wire it up with you know the electrical and all that sort of stuff. I don't think Forge can just do all of this himself, but I'm probably wrong combination of government contracts and oh, uh, maybe true. the professor has uh some sort of space government contracts he can work with i don't know yeah i mean the, the star germers built all this before they dropped right. him off i mean this issue sort of sets up this idea actually even um the final uh, uh Muir island saga if you will uh sets up this uh relationship between the x-men and nick fury as if they're sort of a member of shield yeah. So you could say that like part of the rebuilding and all of this technology that they're throwing in here is all shield technology. It's the only explanation, but not that it matters. It's stupid. It is kind of stupid. And uh, immediately Rogue is able to redirect those missiles back upon the mansion. There's no damage, but you know, it's like, "Hey, we just built this. Why would we do this?" Yeah, this is a weird test. <laughs> Uh, these appear to be live rounds, live um, uh, live munitions, so damage is occurring on this property. And I they have pretty to imagine- much take out Iceman, who is apparently completely useless in this issue. Oh, yeah. I have to imagine that Westchester, which is just down the road, is like, what are all those explosions and, and loud noises that are happening? Are they filming another episode of Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Gene is able to take out Colossus. Um, yeah, this is a great shot of Colossus. Uh, Archangel throws Colossus into the mansion, and um, it's it's just a good shot of Colossus. I don't know why he's glowing like this. I think it's to but, to it's, he's a man when Archangel throws him, and as he's oh, in it's a transformation. Air, okay, yeah, he transforms into Colossus, which is a it's nice cool. touch. Yeah, it's a good it's a good shot. He looks great. It's probably my favorite art of this issue is this uh, Colossus flying through right here. Yeah. Absolutely a variation on the fastball special, but they don't give it a name, which is disappointing. Yeah, that's fine. We all know what it is. So he bursts into the mansion, and uh, so it does some damage, breaks a window, breaks a wall, something, and Gene takes him out with uh, telepathy. But meanwhile, Assault Team Bravo, Wolverine, Psylocke, and Gambit are heading through the sewers to do a below-ground attack. Slip through the first arc of censors, too. Make a note, Banshee. In the meanwhile, such a serious effort deserves 
an equivalent response and a bunch of robots in the sewers underneath <laughs> the mansion show up. So Forge and or Shield and or Shi'ar has provided uh, uh, robot defenses for the mansion. Yeah, so that's exciting. But uh, Wolverine and Psylocke, they destroy lots of these robot components, which seems like a waste of money. You know, I'm realizing as we're doing this, it's all going to be explained and I and I completely forgot about it. But all of this, all of this waste of resources will be explained. Will it? Yes, it's in the it's in the danger room. Uh, oh, all right. I forgot all about that. Yeah, me too. Okay. So, yeah. Foolish us. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Psylocke comments about how it's really nice of Cyclops to uh, throw robots that she can fight with her hands with her bare knuckles. Yeah. And, uh, man's all heart. Bets as much as Gambit is brass, and uh, apparently Gambit just took off left the team to deal with the robots and he comes down from the ceiling on Jean gray. Uh, Colossus is still on the ground. And I think there's part of the cards. plan, right? Like Wolverine and Psylocke are the, you know, causing the, uh, uh, commotion there to give Gambit the ability to kind of slip away. And then well, I think it's part of Gambit's plan. And I think Wolverine and Psylocke are just rolling with it, but, uh, they don't seem to know what's going on because they're both talking about how like Gambit just left us. Man wants to play lone wolf. He can take the consequences. And so he jumps in there and he's able to get the drop on Jean, throw some cards at her. Uh, she's down on the ground and he grabs her and goes in for a kiss and then she explodes and she's a robot. Yeah. So that is, uh, that is strange because that means that she and the professor were robots when they were just kind of chatting with each other. And when they took out Colossus, because Colossus is still in the room. Uh, I, you could argue that the Professor and Jean are actually having those conversations, but they're having them through the robot. It doesn't make sense that <laughs> for, that they're acting for nobody, but um, it's for our benefit, the audience, not anybody else's. And yeah. so they, they pretty much figure that they've taken it all out, um, but somebody, uh, the Professor is trying to get Cyclops' attention telep- telepathically uh, to to remind him that not everybody's been taken out. The exercise is not over. Right. Uh, Cyclops is, meanwhile, making a joke. He's like, uh, oh, geez, Gambit just kissed Jean Grey. When the next opportunity presents itself, remind me to drop a truck on him. <laughs> a big truck. A really big truck. Cyclops! Yeah, so the you know, Cyclops is making some funnies. Not to worry, Professor, while you were away, old fearless here mastered the art of deadpan humor, says the beast. I just would like to cut away from this to Master Splinter in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie saying, I made a funny, and then everybody laughing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'd like to see. Anyways, uh, Wolverine bursts through the floors with his claws, and he is able to, he's got robots like hanging off of him. It's pretty cool. It's not a great. It's not a great picture of his uh, lower half, but eh, upper half's pretty solid. It's fine, and he's making his way towards the professor, and he snicks out his claws and tags the professor. Uh, and Cyclops is not happy about this. Well, you know, he he puts his claws in the professor's face, and Cyclops yeah. is freaked out. Is back off, Wolverine! You made your point. Are you nuts or what? You know how dangerous your claws are. Right. It is. A thing that artists like to do is show that Wolverine does dumb things like this as a show-off, whereas in more capable hands, uh, he would never do this. (laughs) 
I don't slip, bub, he says. The exercise was just to tag the prof, and that's what I did. You got a problem with that? Even yeah. use some teamwork to do it by abandoning all my friends. <laughs> yeah. That's that's real teamwork. I think they're just continuing to show the um, relationship between Cyclops and Wolverine. I don't think it's great. But no, no, it's it terrible. Is what it is. But yeah, it's, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's just establishing that like Cyclops and Wolverine haven't changed. Right. Well, and also... I, I speculate because I think we're like right around the corner from him going into his yellow costume. And I feel like the yellow costume is sort of a story beat in which they're like Wolverine's tapping into his more wild side. Um, or it's just happenstance. I don't know. One of the two. It was a decision. According to uh, the book that I quoted from earlier, uh, it was a decision by Jim Lee to go back to that yellow costume because he hated the, the brown and gold costume. Okay. And the temperament, um, which I, I feel is going to be inconsistent in the pages of Wolverine and X-Men. Yeah. Because um, I remember sort of reading, I think it's Wolverine 50, where they're like, oh, we're going to start revealing all the secrets. Right? It starts off with uh, Weapon X. We're going to start revealing all these secrets. And Wolverine's going to go back to his more you know, wild side. And as a you know a fan of the 90s, you're like just waiting for Wolverine to start tearing some people up and stuff. Uh, but it's handled very inconsistently. And it also sort of flies into the face with what I think Chris Claremont was trying to do with all of these characters is show them growing and evolving and turning into different people. The Wolverine that we see in what I would consider Chris Claremont's most mature years is kind of a wizened Wolverine. He he knows what he needs to do to get the job done. Larry Hama also does a really good job working on that angle. Um turning him into sort of a natural leader and, and not just kind of this cocky, like, eh, this is what I was going to do. You got a problem with that. You know, it's just <laughs> out of, it's out of character. It's out of, and same thing with Magneto, right? Trying to reform this character and give him some depth and not just make him Dr. Doom. Right. Yeah. So. It's the nineties, man. But yeah, it's all, let's go everything, back. Everything new is old again. Everything old is new again. I don't know. Whatever. Something like that. But here's where we get our reveal that the danger room is where they have all been because now they're all in the same room. And there's even like a, a sewer grate that Cyclops is coming up through. So there's like an underground danger room section, which seems unnecessary since the whole thing is holograms. But right. I do like that Colossus is holding Jean Grey's head <laughs> and just kind of looking at it yeah. like, uh, like Hamlet. What is going on with Archangel's wings? They are all over the place and out of control. Jim Lee apparently does not know how to draw them, or maybe he's trying something new. I think he's just like, I want wings everywhere, all over the place, a lot of spiky things. Batman was a real success, and that logo <laughs> is awesome, so I'm going to do a thing that kind of looks true. like they do it. They do look kind of like a Batman cape sort of thing. Well, the old, remember... A, a terrible Batman cape sort of thing. Batman, uh, Burton's Batman, the first one where that, that new logo was revealed and it was the coolest thing ever. I feel like he's mm. doing a variation on that. Iceman complains that we've been busting our butts for days, which I feel like is all that Iceman does in the 90s, or at <laughs> least has been doing this, this year. Maybe he gets some more character depth in the pages of Uncanny later on. I don't know. Yeah, he he doesn't seem to do a whole lot. Um Wolverine storms off. Well, Wolverine is all like, uh, so So uh, Cyclops says, we got to keep working at it until we get it right. Uh, Wolverine is like, eh, I'm not, I'm done. I got better things to do. And he kind of smiles at everybody looking back. It's like, hey, I'm Wolverine. And uh, Cyclops says, that idiot. Some things I guess never change. And he's not really mad about it. It's just kind of like, whatever. Jean Grey smiles. That's a fact. 
So I don't know. Everybody's just being everybody. Yep. A little later on, Nick Fury calls the X-Men and says, hey, Asteroid M's back. Something's happening in space. We need your help. What's he done? A fight started on his doorstep. He put a stop to it, far as anyone knows. All the survivors are pretty much okay. Wait, you talk, Nick. Let's folks expect him to start nuking Mama Russia any moment, says Rogue. Bad dialogue. <laughs> um, there's Cyclops says he's a bad guy. Storm says, well, he also is a good guy because he worked with us. And the professor's like, yeah, regardless of whatever we all think of him, we do have to keep in mind that he's probably one of the most powerful mutants on Earth. So we should be a little careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, I accept your proposal, Cyclops, to split the team into two strike teams. Gold and blue, he doesn't say. But I think he does say later. So this whole thing is Cyclops' idea? Yeah. Hmm, sure. He's the whole reason there are two books now. <laughs> Too many X-Men. In the meanwhile, Colonel Fury, we will search our files for any data on Magneto that might prove helpful should you go. Files. <laughs> Always with the files. Meanwhile, on Asteroid M, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and the mutants find themselves waking up in a room area and they immediately start fighting. The mutants don't have their powers, but the shield agents still have their guns because they have um, some sort of combat armor that are designed to stop inhibitor fields. So they're inhibitor inhibitor fields. I don't know. Inhibitor field inhibitors. Is the lady referring to the human as flat scan? Yes. Yeah. Unlikely flat scan once I my power, nothing's happening. So I guess humans are now referred to as flat scan. Maybe that was Chris Claremont's parting gift of like, I'm gonna give you another term to work with. <laughs> probably. That that nobody will probably ever use again. Oh I'm I'm feeling like they're gonna use it all over the place. <laughs> no idea. Don't remember. Uh Shield Agent grabs Mutant Girl with his guns and says, Everybody relax, everybody behave, the situation's under control. Magneto shows up and is like, hey, what are you doing? He's in a robe, his chest, his barrel chest, and he's hanging out. And he's like, you guys, this is my house. Show some respect. Somebody comments about how thirsty they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the girl elbows the shield agent and runs away. And then the shield agent shoots the girl in the back. And in a nice moment, she falls at Magneto's feet and says, and please, uh, and pledge our lives to your cause. And he's like, but I have no more cause. Yeah, she starts this, we're seeking asylum. We place ourselves under your protection. She gets shot in the back and uh, pledge ourselves to your cause. Have any cause? And, and you would think that she's dead, but I guess she's not. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Later, it is revealed that she is not dead. Magneto. Nito is super mad. He's like, I warned you, and it's awesome. It's it's great that your weapons still work, but that means that I can use them too. Mm-hmm. And he gets he gets the guy, and I thought initially he shot himself, but I think he just I don't know, I don't think he's dead either. It looks like he does, because it's like he he like Magneto clenches his fist as if he's like squeezing the metal around him. It looks like there's kind of like some blood like dripping off of him as he reels backwards and goes, Arg! but then later on, he's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. I think unless it's a different he, guy. That's a different guy. But okay. I think I think he just punches himself in the face. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. 
he might also shoot himself in the face. No, I think you're right because you do. You definitely see a fist there up in there. In the yeah. right. I think he does punch himself in the face. So huh. he's he he's alive, and the girl are both alive. Later later in the issue, I think this guy is also later. I don't know. Whatever. We get the introduction of Fabian Cortez, who says Dreadlord. It's a weird way to talk to somebody. Dreadlord, <laughs> I am Fabian Cortez. Forgive my intrusion. I share your grief. Anne-Marie was a valued comment. So they're grieving, but later he'll be like, oh, by the way, she's fine. Yeah. You must know the great powers below will certainly react to what has happened here. Uh, oh, we do get a definition of flat scans. It must be couched in the f- uh, in terms of those flat scans can understand. Flat scans? Those genetic dead-end, unblessed with our mutant abilities. What terms, Cortez, do you suggest? So Cortez is hatching a plan and trying to get Magneto on board, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Magneto's like, I'll deal with it. And Fabian Cortez is like, yeah, yeah we know you'll deal with it, but let's uh, let's work together. Yep. Let's let's come up with a good strategy. And and meanwhile, let's call people flat scans. There you go. It's, it's new. It's the new hot term. I like it. Meanwhile, uh, the professor has identified something uh, and Cerebro and orders Cyclops to get his blue team ready. uh, And they'll hold the gold team in reserve. Heck yeah. For some reason. Don't know why. I guess we do find out why later. Yeah, for issue three. Yeah. So they load up. Everybody's. They're uh, searching the files. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Called the arms. Everybody suits up, gets on the Blackbird, and they're going to they're going to fly off. Meanwhile, we get sort of a recounting of, I believe, the events that happened in or around issue number 150, where he, well, he resuscitates, this is kind of a neat touch, he resuscitates the sub that he sunk in that issue, which was a Soviet sub, uh, and he realizes that there was a lot of humans on there, they suffered, they died, um, it's kind of a nice touch. He shows, I th- feel like he shows a little bit of remorse. He discovers that there are nukes. On the sub, yeah. which makes me wonder, did he know, it seems like he knew that beforehand, but then it, the dialogue says that, or the captions say that he discovers that there are still nukes. So it would be weird that he would be doing this without knowing that there are nukes there. So maybe he just started out as like memories or something. I don't know. It's a neat touch that they're kind of referring back to this and there are consequences to that thing that happened quite a while ago. And yeah, the conse- the consequences come later once he starts fighting the X-Men. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, there is, there is a new Blackbird. Uh, Forge built up a new Blackbird. Is it a new Blackbird? Yeah. Uh, Rogue says, when the oh, prof right. asked yeah. Forge to design and build us a new Blackbird, the man did himself proud. What happened to the last Blackbird? It wasn't good enough. I mean, they never crashed it. And in fact, isn't there... Oh, man... Now they have two blackbirds. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Maybe the gold team gets the old blackbird and the blue team gets the new blackbird. Yeah. I'm sure this one can fly into space. There you go. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the X-Men, the, the blue team here, confront Magneto. Um, Rogue talks to her of like, hey, remember that thing? And we were hanging out in the Savage Land and thought we'd develop some type of a relationship. What's going on? Yeah, they kind of touch more on that later uh but the, the x-men attempt to sneak up on magneto with the blackbird of all things yeah and, well it's uh, forge designed it to be silent yeah uh, magneto can detect metal right um so beast is like don't say i didn't warn you and cyclops is like yeah you're right 
That was pretty dumb. <laughs> this was a terrible plan. Why are we flying a metal hunk of uh, ship towards the master of magnetism? You feel I feel like uh, Forge would have designed this to be like space age polymers and not metal, but it's it's not. Fortunately mm-hmm. for continuity and the X Men, uh, the uh, Magneto doesn't destroy it; he just kind of deflects it. It says, "You're I would destroy your pretty new craft." Instead of simply freezing it in place, and then apparently Beast and Gambit jump out of the craft, and that distracts Magneto, or he's like, eh, I made my point, and the Blackbird flies away. Right. And, yeah, they fly down, but Magneto uses metal to punch Beast in the gut and hurl Gambit away. You still playing nice, monsieur, by using that wreckage to give Beast a tummy ache instead of punching it straight through him? That being the case, I won't charge these cards enough to kill. And he throws the cards at Magneto, who just apparently has, they, they must have some sort of metal in them because Magneto just hurls them back at him. Yeah. A fortunate decision, young man, for you. And they explode, knocking Gambit off his feet. I feel like uh, Gambit would normally have just like a regular plastic coated deck of cards, but for this inaugural mission he got the fancy ones that have like a really nice metal edge to them for a decorative look i mean they're not designed to like slice through people they're just designed to look nice uh and that's what magneto uses to hurl them back at gambit that's what i'm gonna go with i'm fine with that (laughs) what do you think gambit's uh playing card budget is oh man it's through the roof yeah (laughs) he's gotta he's he's gotta whenever he sees them he has to buy them yeah or steal them. He probably steals them. He probably does. Meanwhile, uh, Psylocke gets the jump on him, and uh, who boy, this is an awkward angle that we get to see of her, but she kicks him in the face. Well, this is, you know, classic ninja awesomeness sort of thing. I don't know about that. It's The leg is classic awesome ninja-ness. The rest of it is kind of gratuitous. It is. It, it is it's very gratuitous, but, you know, it's what you're paying for in the 90s when you're buying these comic books. I guess. You need all the pinups you can get. I guess. She manifests her psychic knife, the focused totality of her telepathic abilities, mentions to herself, she's telling herself this, one strike should render Magneto insensible. And but I of think course she doesn't get the chance. If she wouldn't have thought all of that and just run through with the action, she might yeah, have been according able to. to. The, according to the caption, even, in the split second between thought and execution, yep. she's attacked by metal. Yeah. Have you X-Men gone mad? I was, I was like... I, I I didn't want to be assaulted. I wasn't going to hurt you. And Good Lord. Good Lord, as Wolverine swipes down and snicks across Magneto's chest. Yeah, Wolverine wasn't holding back. That was a killing attack. I remember the signs from the time we first met. He's Not the, sure what Cyclops is referring to there. He's on the verge of a berserker fury. Things weren't meant to go like this. I'm partly to blame. Did Wolverine have a berserker fury the first time they met? I don't think so. No. I mean, he was a little cocky and, and maybe a little wild way back when in Giant Size number 1 in issue 94, but... I don't think the Berserker Fury was invented yet. No, I think that was developed over time, and yeah. But then again, that's before Wolverine took off his mask, so he was still a 19-year-old. So this is what I was talking about. Yeah, so Magneto is hurled into the inside of the wreckage by Cyclops, and that's when he just sees all of these bones, and he's like, oh, my God, the crew, I, I didn't even think about. They all died, they drowned, and all their bones are floating around. 
All this time, he'd thought about them in ab- as in abstract pawns instead of men. Now, though, at last, he comes face to face with the consequences of his acts. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Out of everything that's kind of bad about this issue, this is nice to just have like a remembrance of like, yep, you did that thing and a lot of people died, probably painfully and slowly. I don't know. I don't think there's anything really bad about this issue. It sets out to do what it, you know, I suppose. It, does, it does what it sets out to do. It's, it's, a, it's a series of action scenes and pinups. Right. But this is a nice touch is, is all I'm trying to get at. So no, for sure. The Magneto stuff is probably among the best of this issue. In this issue. Yes. In this issue. Wolverine and uh, Cyclops, they burst in, and um, you know, Magneto... You choose to see me solely as the man I was. Is that what I am then? Stay away! And Magneto hurls Wolverine into Cyclops because of the adamantium bones. Although, actually, he does raise a metal thing, so never mind. I thought he hurled Wolverine. Mm-mm. Makes sense that he would hurl Wolverine mm-hmm. into Cyclops, but no, he does use metal to shoot Wolverine into Cyclops. If you value your lives, leave me be. And he flies away with a couple, looks like three or four nukes, maybe more. Uh, and he flies off. The X-Men go to, to chase him. Um, just Rogue. Rogue goes to chase him. And she's like, uh, Cyclops says, what, Rogue, what are you doing? And Rogue says, I'm going to go talk to him like we should have done from the start, you jerks. Right. Which is the right thing. The rest of the X-Men get into their new Blackbird. Uh, and it looks like um, Russian ships are now um, converging on the scene here. Yeah. Oh, my stars and garters, says Beast. Rogue does fly up to Magneto's like, hey, we want to talk. It's kind of silly that that she's like super far away from him and yet they can still hear each other. Is she super far away from him? It looks like they're pretty close. In the first panel, oh, she's like, sure. will you please wait up? Right. And Magneto's like, there's nothing more to be said. Right. It's like, what? He's like, uh, we probably could have done this better. Cyclops made a mistake. But don't you see what's happening? You're spooking everybody with all these actions. Mostly folks know of you as a world-class muty terrorist. You're the boogeyman. By acting that way, you're proving them right. Mm-hmm. I tried to change. I did my best to follow Xavier's path to a peaceful coexistence between Homo sapiens and Homo sapiens superior. That's a mouthful. Yep. And paid for that folly with the blood of innocence. And then just to emphasize the point, a f- Russian fighter jet shoots missiles, which Rogue takes the brunt of. She goes flying. And now we all know that Rogue's invulnerable. I mean, this probably hurts, but she's yeah. not dead. Uh, but Magneto, he's like, do you not see what your species is doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he does go Rogue at first, like, oh, man, this looks like it hurts. But then he continues talking to her, so he knows she's fine. There is your answer, child. <laughs> right. He makes a bubble to protect Rogue, uh, but at least I can save one person, which, I mean, arguably, she, she'd have been fine. But Magneto does a thing to, you know, show that he's not completely evil. Um, and then he detonates the nuclear missiles in the atmosphere. Yeah, he, doesn't, he one detonates of one of them. Yeah. So somehow he must, like, I don't know, you would think that the other ones would be caught in this and they would all go off, but... He sh- he gets Rogue far enough away, so I guess he can also get himself far enough away. And this is a, it's this is a great way to set the stakes, right? Of like, okay, now it's serious, right? Uh, Magneto went into Russian airspace, retrieved nuclear missiles from a sub that he sank many years ago, and then detonated one of them up in the atmosphere, just hanging heading off to uh, asteroid M. So whatever these Magneto protocols are, they're probably warranted and justified at this point. What is the nuclear fallout of a megaton nuclear warhead being blasted above 
Russia. Adam, we will never come back to this. <laughs> it won't matter. It would have been neat, though, to kind of have some repercussions to that nuclear missile. And uh, while it's in the upper atmosphere, I don't, I don't think we'd be dealing with, like, you know, radiation fallout right. and post-apocalyptic things. But I don't know. I mean, I think they do talk about, like, some communications blackouts and some other issues that they're having. Um, but it could have... This could have been an arc that led to several long-term changes, and they could have cleaned it up later because it's comics, but I'm pretty sure after this series they don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, Magneto does make it back up to Asteroid M. Uh, Fabian Cortez shows up. He's like, oh, my God, Wolverine's claws. They clawed you. Let me use my powers to help you and, and heal you. So maybe Fabian Cortez had gave him the idea and was like, remember that old sub you sank? Yeah. It's probably still got nukes. And Magneto's like, eh, it probably doesn't have nukes, but I'll go check it out. And then yeah. he goes down and he's like, oh, he's right. It did have nukes. So that would explain why he was surprised and why he's doing it. All right. Um, yeah. Wolverine sliced him up and uh, Fabian Cortez is healing him as he says, let my humble hot powers heal you as they have my sister from the shield agent's weapon. Oh, yes. So she's still alive. Uh, yeah, Fabian Cortez is really convincing him that, like, this is the right thing to do. Um, you have uh, a fate uh, and a faith in, in my hands. Uh, you will not regret it. So, I don't know, just trying to push Magneto to understand that what's happening here sort of has to happen. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, somebody attacks Hammer Bay in Genosha. I don't remember how this happens. So the X-Men are flying around wondering what happened to Rogue. And then Magneto's like, hey, I found her. She's in... Um, Magneto she, is? Or, uh, Cyclops. Uh, Somebody. Professor, Professor X. Ah, okay. Contacts them and says, hey, I found Rogue. She's uh, she's in Genosha. Um, I received a telephone call. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know why they called the professor, but whatever. Why are why is everything exploding in in Genosha? Because the mutant strike force team that are the people that were hanging out with uh, Magneto, described here as a superpowered terrorist cadre, mm. is staging random attacks throughout the city. My magistrate can't hope cope. Uh, Rogue, we we need your help. She wakes up at Genosha and she's like, "What am I, a prisoner?" And she's like, "Nope, you're not a prisoner, but we do need your help." And uh, mutants are still free, I swear, mm -hmm. says the magistrate, chief magistrate, uh, Anderson, specifically. And that's when we do get to see the the mutant uh, people that were previously on. I don't. I, this was a little confusing because they basically jumped from right asteroid M to this. They kind of just show up out of nowhere, which was what I was kind of confused as to. We we lead with Genosha being bombed. It kind of looks like. Without any sort of explanation as to what it is. But yeah, on the next page we see the four mutants that were pledging themselves to Magneto uh, just r running rampant in the downtown. There's some weird stuff where the big one is like Beast says something about how this guy's last name is Delgado and uh, he throws Wolverine at them. This is cutting ahead. I'll cut back in a second. But mm -hmm. there was a major... Henry, Harry Delgado, uh, commanding the shield pursuit force that was captured by Magneto. Coincidence? 
And then Wolverine says, maybe he's a sleeper. Maybe he's switched sides. Maybe somebody made him switch sides. We never find out, I don't think. I don't remember. If this it means anything at all. And apparently he has an ability to grow and increase his strength and speed. So, uh, don't know. Let's go with Sleeper. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he seems like a mutant. Yeah. Yeah. I, As, yeah, I forgot about that whole... He basically fights, fights Rogue. The Delgado piece. So, the rest of the X-Men show up and... Uh, they they fight, causing a lot of damage in Genosha. They're like, surrender! And the guys are like, no, we're not going to surrender. Genosha bred mutants as slaves, and they tried to destroy you guys, and now you defend them. And Gambit says, well, the government did those things, and the government has, has changed. Has been overthrown. There's new people in charge. Yep. Um, Wolverine's about to kill. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Wolverine's about to kill Fabian Cortez. And Magneto shows up, and he's like, don't do this. I'm power. Wolverine, he's the leader. We need him alive, says uh, Cyclops. There's no need for such melodrama, X-Men. I have nothing to hide. Indeed, I and mine are as proud of our affiliation as you of yours. There's a little bit where Betsy is talking about how she's an action junkie, mm-hmm. and how it might get her into trouble mm-hmm. someday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, uh, Cy- uh, Magneto shows up and says, stop it. I didn't uh I didn't allow for these guys to do this, but they've only killed higher ups in the I guess they only killed magistrates. Right. And I will I will deal with them. They're he, my people. Yeah, he's he yeah and then we're still getting how do I put this? Like Magneto's not a like a he's not Doctor Doom. He's not a bad guy, but he is like, hey, like this isn't how I would handle the situation. I was out of commission. These guys will be dealt with. They're my people to deal with. Um, so again, still, still kind of a neat thing where we haven't completely transitioned to full-on bad guy. I cannot change the world, but I can and will ensure that my race will never again suffer for its fear and prejudice. Henceforth, I declare Asteroid M a sovereign world, home and haven to mutant kind. If you are born Homo sapiens superior, then you are automatically a citizen entitled to safe haven above and security below. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Krakoa <laughs> uh, of today's comics? I guess, kind of, yeah. Even you X-Men, even your mentor, my old friend Professor Xavier, you're all welcome. Mark this and mark it well. Any harm done against a mutant is harm done to me, and I shall respond accordingly. Meanwhile... Banshee, who we really haven't seen since the beginning of the issue, is just running to somewhere in the mansion uh, to find Moira, who's hunched over something, I don't know what, and she's very dis- sad, she's crying. Oh, Sean, forgive me. I didn't ken what could have possessed me. Lord, my lord, what have I done? This terrible thing that's happening. Banshee, it's all my fault. And we're left saying, like, oh, what? Evil. Which terrible thing. Yeah, like sending the, the uh, Fabian Cortez and those guys into space, uh, Magneto being evil. Like, what are you talking about? And she's the, the, very upset. She's wrecked with guilt of this horrible, terrible thing that she's done, which I'm sure we'll completely find out in the next issue. I'm more confused over why Banshee's calling her Dr. McTaggart. Uh, yeah, right, because at first... Um, it's from a top-down angle, and you could almost say, like, oh, it looks like it's pyro, because he's got, like, yeah. tubes. It looks like he's kind of holding a machine gun, but I'm, 
I'm not sure what he's holding. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, this is his lover, his is the, the love of his life, and he's referring to her as Dr. McTaggart. You've been closeted down in your lab for so long without a word or even a bite to eat. I was starting to worry. Akushla, why you been crying? It's all my fault. Yeah. I'm assuming Akushla is a term of endearment. Sure. Which is a complete 180 from Dr. McTaggart. Right. Uh, then we get a pinup of things to come, which includes, uh, let's, let's do, we got Brood. We've got Longshot. And Dazzler. We've got, is that Dazzler? Where's Dazzler? In the middle? She's with uh, Longshot. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that Dazzler. It looks like kind of like a cyborg lady. Spoilers, it's Dazzler. <laughs> That's, I mean, that makes sense. It just doesn't look like Dazzler. It kind of looks like there's Ghost Rider behind Longshot. That is Ghost Rider, yes. And then a brood, as I mentioned. Um, some space guys. Uh, who's the dude behind uh, Omega Red? Um, that is uh, the the head of the hand. Yeah, it's the guy that made Psylocke, basically. Yeah. And then you got a file folder below Omega Red that says Weapon X Classified, which oh, yeah. kind of is like the same file folder from Wolverine number 50. Uh, boy, I'm looking forward to all of these things to come. So is the woman Celine, or oh. is it supposed to be Madeline Pryor? Because she's got the uh, little thing on her chest that uh, means that she's being manipulated by, uh, what's her name? Uh, Malice. It could be, Malice. it's either, yeah, it could be any of those things, right? Um, you got the glint in the eye, which I guess is sort of meaningless. It could be Celine. could be Madeline Pryor. could be Madeline Pryor in her Goblin Queen outfit. Uh, could be Celine, as you mentioned, uh, possessed by Malice. Could be Madeline Pryor <laughs> possessed by Malice. Somebody's possessed by Malice, I'm assuming, unless they just drew a little pendant that just completely reminds me of Malice. Yeah, I feel like Madeline Pryor in her Goblin Queen outfit had like a a skull button holding everything together. Yeah. Um, it's not quite the right cut for the Goblin Queen's uniform, so let's go with Celine and Malice. And I don't okay. know who the people, there's a guy with like a billy, or woman, guy with a billy club, and then a man with like a gun arm. Or so the, alien the with woman a with the billy club we'll find is, uh, spoilers, Gambit's wife. Oh. The man with the billy club, I have no idea who that is. You mean the, the alien with the gun on his arm? Yeah. Yeah. The alien with the, the green haired alien with the gun arm. Yeah. Not the billy club. I don't remember, but I mean, obviously Omega Red will be uh, a figure, but do all of these things come to light in the next nine issues before Jim Lee exits stage left? All of these things happen in the Jim Lee run, except I don't recall the malice thing or the green haired guy. So keep your eyes out for somebody with a skull pendant on their chest and a green haired alien with a gun arm. So all things considered, I mean, that's the end of this issue. Uh, pretty good. Um, I, I know I was kind of calling it bad earlier, and that's not quite what I meant. It, it's bad in the terms of, like, very 90s, and it's kind of putting a lot of things that Chris Claremont set up uh, on hold. But, and I don't know if this was the intent of Jim Lee and Fabian Nicesia, who I'm assuming is doing all the plotting here, Uh or if I it don't was, think so. I don't think Fabian Nicesia has anything to do or Will with X-Men at this yeah. point. So, like, it's Jim Lee and Will Spartacio plotting X-Men and Uncanny. Eventually, Scott Lobdell takes over the writing of X-Men and probably also Uncanny. 
Um, Fabian Nicieza stays in on X-Force and New Mutants. Or not New Mutants, New Warriors. What I don't know is whether or not uh, Magneto's kind of conflicted transformation is a result of all of that dialogue, because this is a very dialogue-heavy issue, uh, or if that was part of the severance package of, okay, you get to write the direction of Magneto, but all these other stupid things are going to happen. Nah, not stupid, but... It feels like all this is the direction we're going in. You get to write it. Right. Get on but, board or get out. But, it ha- yeah, it has to... It has to Here's the overall plot. I'm going to send you the pages, script them as they come in. Yeah. Yep. Um, the new direction seems to be characters will no longer evolve into and develop. They're just going to be their stereotypes, basically. Everybody is who they are. No change will happen. I think that's true of everybody but Wolverine. I think they try to do something with Wolverine to revert him back to his more wild side. But my recollection, and it's, it's... I think that happens in the pages of Wolverine, but I don't yeah, know. I think they we'll try see. to bleed it over to, to the pages of X, like reference, like, oh, he's more wild than he used to be. I don't remember because I, I feel like I've read... Uh, we've talked about this before. There's issues of X, Uncanny X-Men, uh, specifically issues uh, 200 through probably about 240, which I've read over and over and over and over again. I'm intimately familiar with a lot of the things that happened in those issues. These modern... 90s X-Men, I probably haven't read since they first came out, which I don't know if that's more of a I just grew up as a person or they just didn't have the staying power slash nostalgia of, you know, those older issues somewhere in the middle, probably. So uh, my point is, is I don't recall any character growth happening in the next couple of years on the X-Men, but I also haven't read any of these things for I don't over 30 years. <laughs> Stuff that I remember happening to Cyclops is he gets he has a crush on Betsy for a while, but then he marries Jean Grey. So I don't know that I guess that didn't work out. <laughs> oh, I I don't remember that at all. Um, that's all I really remember. And I feel like when I was collecting these, you know, it was it was more of probably a bit of speculation. You know, it's familiar, right? I'd been collecting X Men earlier. I had stopped. Then you and I had become friends and started going to the comic book store. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll start buying these up again. Um, and I think a lot of these issues, like the X issues specifically, I was and Spider-Man probably, I was looking more at the art than the dialogue. Because so, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember much of what's going to happen. But I was also at the same time um, reading Shade the Changing Man, and that I was reading really for the story. And so like a lot of that stuff has stuck with me. So. Do you remember who wrote Shade the Changing Man? No. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was I don't a, either. Yeah, it was a guy who did a really good job, and then he left the book, and then it kind of It was of like a Vertigo book, right? Yeah. Mm. Did you collect all of that, or did you eventually, when you stopped comics, you just stopped reading everything? Um, I stopped. Uh, Peter Peter Milligan? Looks oh, like okay. He wrote a bunch of it, and then he left. He's a British guy. He would later come on to write uh, X Force, the new wacky versions of X Force, right? Which makes sense. And then he also, at some point, I think he writes the X Men. Oh, that so, could be. Uh, how the, about that? The older shade, more serious in tone, um, but definitely a lot of wacky things happening in that um, series. Uh, was good, very memorable. But then he left, or, or an artist left. I don't remember who left, the artist or the writer, or maybe the entire team left, and they tra- changed uh, creative teams. Uh, and then I stopped 
reading. Um, and I think at some point when I was older and had money, I bought as many back issues as I could to try to get a complete set, but I don't think I ever uh, did that. So There apparently was also a Shade the Changing Woman and Shade the Changing Girl series. Shade? Shade the Changing Man lasted 70 issues. Yeah, he was an alien, and he took on... I don't exactly remember his backstory, but eventually he did kind of morph or turn into a regenerate, kind of like a Doctor Who type thing, uh, into a woman for a while. Um, I don't know if that was the Shade the Changing Woman or if that was like a completely different series, but... Don't know. Either way, it was an interesting thing. My point, though, is that that sort of stuff I was reading, digesting, and holding on to, whereas like a lot of this X-Men stuff, I was like, okay... It's pretty, pretty look at. Back and board it. <laughs> Pin up some poses. Pretty much. Which, you know, is awesome because I kept buying it. But really, this this is the beginning of the uh, stoppage of comics. And, and in a mere, let's say, two years, I would be out of comics for a good long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I same, same. Well, it wouldn't have been two years. It would have been... Very shortly after the formation of Image Comics, um, okay. when, in my opinion, like again, it'll be interesting to see if the stories hold up, if the stories are good. I don't, I don't know. Uh, at that point, I was all surface, right? I was like, "Oh, Jim Lee's not drawing it. I don't want to read this." <laughs> I think one of the Cuberts stayed behind, and so I kept on that for a while. But then I think he left. Adam or Andy, I don't remember which one it was. I think I stopped bef- like after the extinction. Um, no extermination whatever the next big crossover is i think that was my well that was my last thing executioner song yeah that thing because i i remember reading that as a kid and being like well this didn't make any sense yeah and i was just like okay i'm done yeah I, i don't need to i don't need to be in comics anymore yeah and i think i stopped everything uh maybe except for Gru. uh because I have every issue of Gru, and I don't think I went back and bought them all. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know either. Maybe um, Gru was done by now. Who knows? I have no idea. Somewhere around the the introduction of Bishop, uh, somewhere around there is where I left, gave up. That's the uh, that's like next month. Oh, is it? I think Uncanny 282 is where Bishop shows up. Hmm. I remember a 300 cover, which is all foil embossed with Bishop on the oh, front okay. of it. I feel like. So you, if you made it that far, then yeah, it's probably about two years after this. Is it? Okay. So that, that was about – so this is to Uncanny 281. So 300 would be about 20 issues away from that, yeah. which, is about, which is about two years. Okay. And I cannot maybe, confirm maybe less. that I bought every issue up to 300. I just I remember that cover, and I probably bought it because it was issue 300 and it was foil embossed. Foil embossed. I, I couldn't tell you that I went any further than that, so it'll be interesting. I'm just very curious to know. Like, I don't remember any of these stories, and then at some point I stopped reading it, so I definitely – Executioner's Song I hated, so I'm going to be – very open to trying to understand it. I just remember as a kid, it made no sense whatsoever. So I'm looking forward to that kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah, don't know, but, uh, that's it. That's Axman number one. Um, we, yeah, we did get a, we did get a letter. We've been holding on to this for a while. Frenchie from the website as confirmed by the book, uh, that you mentioned at the beginning, he said, Claremont was given X-Men number one through three by Harris as a severance package. He knew he was out when writing these issues. 
So, Frenchie, if you've been waiting for us to drop your your nugget uh, on the podcast, boom, we just did it. It happened. Sorry it took us like six months. (laughs) Are you still listening? Are you still out there? Probably not. It's like, those jerks never read my letter. (laughs) So, should we tease up what's coming to Patreon soon? Okay. (laughs) So as as folks of uh, if you're on the Patreon or if you've heard us talking on this podcast, we were covering the Dawn of X saga, the whole new thing with Krakoa and the herbs and all that sort of stuff. Very bizarre storyline. I think we kind of got into it, but then we ran out of Marvel Unlimited stuff. And uh, eh, this is kind of our bread and butter, the classic stuff. So I had never read. Maybe you have, Adam, but I had never read the X-Men Forevers that take off after X-Men number three. So that's what we're going to do. For a little while. I've also never read them. I've I've just heard about them. So we've got spoilers. Got a couple of those in the can. So as once X-Men number three drops on the podcast, we'll continue right on with X-Men Forever on the Patreon. So if you want to keep up with both storylines, uh, you can do so. It's super cheap. And you get to hear our hot takes on pop culture stuff. Yeah. Like Velma and Star Wars. Star Wars is always in like in fashion. <laughs> Remember when Star Wars wasn't in fashion? It was. A, and it, there was like a big gap between movies, and then the books came out, and then it became back in fashion. Yeah, it was basically from a couple of years after Return of the Jedi to Timothy Zahn's uh, whatever his trilogy was. Yeah, it was a big Star Wars lull in which it seemed like nobody cared, and then those special editions came out. Whew. It's been Star Wars fever ever since. Yep. So it's a constant hot take that we have. Probably Doctor Who, probably Star Trek. Picard's coming out soon. Picard season three. I'm so in on that. I cannot wait. (laughs) I haven't Uh, watched any of the teasers, but every so often I catch a glimpse of something if it comes up on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And I'll see like, I don't know, LaForge. And I'll be like, oh, I got to stop watching. I've only seen like some production stills. I haven't I've somehow been able to avoid um, any video stuff. I want to keep it that way because I want to go in yeah. as as fresh as possible because I feel like it could go one of two ways, Adam. It could go, uh, we should have done this from day one and it would have been <laughs> great or wow, they really just killed uh, the entire crew, not just Picard. And when I say kill, I mean, like, just ruined everything. And I shouldn't say that, right, because it's it really does go back to, like, uh, the fact that these new things come out, with whatever you feel about Doctor Who and Star Wars and Star Trek, you still have that old thing out there. It still exists. Yeah, like, yeah. Your, your childhood isn't ruined. But it is fun to complain and poke fun it. It doesn't seem like the current creative team understands Star Trek, so I'm going to assume it's not going to get any better. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But I can't wait. I'm looking but I hope I'm it. wrong because I would love I would love to be wrong. And uh, there's a uh, movie that Adam challenged me to watch um, and we'll talk about it. What uh, movie is that? Uh, menu. Uh, but we'll talk oh, about yes, that. Yes. That's going to be probably a few weeks after the first uh, Patreon drops. I'm looking forward to conversations like that so cool adam you got anything else no uh let's let's put this to bed and we can move on with our lives having finally completed our 350th episode after sitting on it for three months (laughs) however long it's been it's okay well until next time my name is jeremy my name's adam and the danger room is closed